1: Well, as you know, I've already mentioned who our guest is tonight, and I am very excited about this guest. Um, Dr. Jonathan E. Martin is his name, Professor of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. What is this all about? Well, news stories about devastating flooding events, severe weather outbreaks, and crippling winter storms have many wondering if our weather patterns have been permanently shifted, Is this the new normal, or can we possibly reverse these effects of climate change? Well, let's go over to our guest, Dr. Jonathan E. Martin, and find out. Welcome, sir. How are you? Good. How are you? We we are doing just fine. Really appreciate you joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. The question I want to start out with, sir, is it possible for the climate changes to change themselves? If, is it possible for the earth to just change it so that we level out? Because I keep well, hearing from other friends, no, it's not possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that we're dealing with, uh, in the last 150 to 200 years, a change that has been entirely wrought by human activity on the planet. And um, in the Earth's history, going back millions and millions of years, has seen many instances of long-term change where we've had ice ages intermittently. We've had, um, you know, when the dinosaurs were on the planet, the temperatures at high latitude, 60 and 70 degrees north, were more like what they are in the tropics now. But so the planet has undergone substantial changes in its long, long history of uh, hundreds of millions of years with life on it. Um, But we've never had a change that's been as dramatic as the one that's gone on in the last couple of hundred years, and that change has been entirely wrought by activity, particularly industrialization of the planet at the hands of human beings. And so what we've done is we've changed the chemical composition of our atmosphere from having roughly 250 to 300 molecules per million of any bag of air that you would sample uh, being carbon dioxide, to right now the average is about 420 such molecules Mm. per million. And so that's an extraordinary increase And that particular gas is one of the primary greenhouse gases in the planet. And um, it, it allows for solar radiation, a particular kind, the ones that our eyes are sensitive to, very high energy, short wavelength radiation, to come right through the atmosphere as if it weren't even there. It's just like coming right through a window. But then the infrared energy that's emitted by the surface of the Earth, by human beings on the planet, by the ocean surface, doesn't get out back to outer space without being interrupted in that journey by the presence of carbon dioxide. And so that carbon dioxide reabsorbs some of that energy and then re-emits it back to the surface. So the planet is much warmer than it would otherwise be without carbon dioxide in its atmosphere. And when you You turn up the amount of carbon dioxide, you're in trouble because you're making it hotter for the planet to cool. And that's how we're warming right now. And your question about, are we going to uh, be able to reverse those effects without any subsequent intervention? I think the answer is, it might take 100 years if we suddenly stopped using any carbon fuels of any kind. We might in 100 or 200 years have a relaxation back to um, more natural conditions of about 300 or so molecules per million. But we won't get there without a concerted, uh, premeditated and deliberate effort. And so I think that's what the argument and the energy ought to be directed towards is how we're we going to do that.
1: So I look back at some of the years, maybe five to six years ago, if I'm not mistaken, that was when we started learning about, okay, we've got this pandemic uh, that's coming up. Okay, yeah, it's going to be awful. And when that pandemic happened, a lot of the birds and animals started coming out. The flamingos uh, on certain islands started coming out and basking in the sun because there were no human beings out. We were all hiding away, trying to stay away from COVID. And I'm just curious to know, once uh, it all returned, we started getting out without our masks. We started moving about throughout the world. And I'm wondering if it's a bad idea for us to keep going out and coming in when it comes to the earth and, it's, and, and what's happening with the atmosphere.
0: I think there's room on this gigantic, glorious planet for all forms of life, including ours, which is so intelligent that it can change aspects of nature to its own desires, including our industrialization, including our needs to power our civilizations. But we have to be more creative about it. And it's only about 100 or so years ago that we really started to use, 150 years ago, I guess, we started to use petroleum products on the scale that we now do. And in the last 50 of those 150 years, we probably should have been looking toward the future and saying, let's start to supplement the easy, cheap, and available use of petroleum products with some other things that we might be able to do instead, like solar and wind. And and there's been an explosion in solar energy technology in the last 20 years, to the point where it's now cheaper for a lot of applications than petroleum products. And I think the market, if it's free of of the biases that we've accumulated over those 150 years may actually uh, rather rapidly dictate that we start doing things in a different way, which would be beneficial to the Earth's environment. So there's hope uh, that that will take place, but I think it's wise for governments around the world, and including our own, to actually jumpstart that effort and not just wait for it to happen naturally. The market is a powerful force, but if it's jumpstarted towards a goal, it'll be even more powerful and more rapidly. Uh, advancing uh, with that power. So I'm hoping that we can get something like that going in the next 5, 10, 15 years.
1: I hope you are correct, sir. Now, here's the big challenge for me right now, today, in this moment, is that I can't say anything about Wisconsin. I don't know enough about um, how that's being handled there. But here in Minnesota, we are seeing the changes. We know it is it. We We see it and we, we sit and say, oh, it'll be fine. It'll correct itself. The earth is going to correct itself. How do we participate in that correction?
0: Well, um, there's a number of ways I think where we can do that. One is we can start voting for people who see this as a real problem and stop voting for people who deny that it's a problem at all. So that's one thing we can do in a in a um, capitalistic democracy. Is we can we can demand from our leaders that they take this problem seriously and that they work towards solutions for it in the long term. The other is we can all try to be as economical as possible with our use of energies. And when there's an opportunity, I actually think this will be a revolution that's uh, that's um, uh, brought about by people of means, it won't be brought about by people who are struggling to to keep the bills paid and to and to feed their families, and that that the burden should not be put upon them. So if somebody has to drive an old, inefficient car just because that's all they can afford at the time, driving from work site to work site, no one should make that person feel guilty. We should not punish those people in any way, psychic or otherwise. But it should be people who have the means to make better choices and uh, make uh, choices of maybe putting solar panels on their own house, maybe buying a car that has got some electrical uh, fuel as an aspect of it, a hybrid or something like that. Just cutting away a little bit at a time on some of the use of these, of these uh, fossil fuels will be a really big step in the right direction. But it, it's going to take a consciousness raising that people have to stop arguing that this isn't a problem and then start to think constructively about the, the number of possible ways that we might solve it. I, as I said earlier, I, I really think that way too much energy is, is uh, poorly wasted on thinking about or on arguing about whether or not there actually is a global warming going on. There is. There's no question about that. That energy should be better spent in trying to come up with bipartisan solutions to, to, um, to do something about it.
1: We are even noticing. I mean, if, you, if you're out on a cruise or anything like that, you can see what is happening to the oceans. You can see how much trash is floating uh, above mm. the uh, ocean. And this is painful to see. Yet people will go right back into that cruise ship and sit down and have a nice piece of cake or breakfast and, and laugh and have a great time and dance in the rooms. And no one seems to... To really pay attention to it, it's like, oh, that's sad. And then you move on. It has to be something more that we all have to agree to understand and accept. I don't even know what that is. But I feel as though there is something that can be said or done in this country or this state that could really make a difference just for the little amount of space that we even have in Minnesota. Do you believe that?
0: I sure do. I remember uh, quite vividly those those advertisements on television from the early 1970s when President Nixon, of all people, decided that it was time that there would be an Environmental Protection Agency that was established under President Nixon. And remember those commercials where they'd have the Native American on horseback coming mm-hmm. to the edge of a highway, and there was all this trash, and the tear would come down his eye. It was a building consciousness in the early 70s about well, we can do something about this, and the country looks better than it used to in 1972. And that was a that was a, a shift in people's attitudes, and I think similar kinds of things can be done on some of these other high profile problems like the one you bring up. It's very important that people realize this planet is a giving planet. We we are not in any danger of of, of running out of resources if we manage them carefully and if we have respect for them. And I think there's sometimes where all of us are a little short sighted and get caught up in what it is we need to get done this week, this year, or or this next few years, and we stop thinking about that as a, as a, as a real, um, you know, value, that the, the limited nature and the uh, precarious nature of natural resources on the planet. But if we're smart enough to manage them better, and that's what we need to do.
1: Well, one thing I do know is that we are all seeing it happen, yet there doesn't seem to be action. And leadership is everything, sir, as you and Mm -hmm. I both know. Leadership is everything. And and all of a sudden, leadership changes, and everything changes. We're not getting a dang thing done. Then we have to Mm -hmm. wait another four years, and then things will start getting done. And then all of a sudden, it won't. There's no way we can succeed if we're constantly changing our minds.
0: Where do we start? (laughs) It's a real problem. I think that is a problem. I really do think that's a problem. I think the young generation, the people younger than than me, are confronted with uh, a situation that none of my generation or prior generations have ever had to work with, which is trying to get, you know, global uh, neighbors to work together. We've never had to do that before. That's the only way we're going to solve this problem of, of the climate and try and protect the environment of the Earth that will protect, in turn, our civilization, which we're all used to, and that's what's at risk. The planet will survive. Will our civilization survive? Is the question. Uh, the planet's got plenty up its sleeve, but it's uh, human civilization is on the on the tip of a needle at all times in terms of uh, the benevolence of the environment. But how can we get this to actually happen? I, I I really do believe it's a it's a consciousness raising that has to be done, and so there'll be people who will scream and yell that. When young people in, in grade schools and in high schools are being told about the environment and how precarious the situation is, they're being indoctrinated. They're being bamboozled. And we need to get rid of those people from the public sphere because they're wrong. And we that will be the way that we can maybe make some progress in terms of turning people's attitudes towards a more conservative, ironically, approach about the environment.
1: My goodness, I don't know how that can be done, especially quickly, because this is something that needs to be done quickly. We've been saying this. You remember when Al Gore uh, made his statement in 2000 or 2001, and he came forward and said, look, it's all about to change. We have 20 years to change it. Next thing I hear, you know, eight years later, oh, we have 35 years left. We got to, you know, get a hold of this. So those numbers keep changing. You keep changing the minds of Americans. After a while, we're just going to go blank.
0: Yeah. Now, some of that is a function of increasing knowledge, which is always uh, running apace with, with, uh, you know, the passage of the calendar. We're learning more, and so we, we can refine what we know and what we expect and what might be a reasonable prediction. So some of that's just natural, the way science works. You get a little bit better and better at understanding the nature of the problem. But we're pretty much at the end of the line on that. I don't think we're, we're really going to be able to say 20 years from now that, oh, hey, we just found a new reason to say we've got 50 more years. Those days are over. And so we need to make serious progress on this problem. But I'll say that the president has, has enacted a gigantic bill a year and a half ago now on – on the uh, reconstruction act and a lot of that has to do with with um carbon um fuel Mm -hmm. stuff like that so Mm -hmm. there's progress being made there and it's just if we can get everybody on board to say okay let's let's try and do this step by step try something assess whether it's worked and then move on to the next attempt we can do this in a systematic fashion but we can't do it if we've got unreasonable skepticism about the nature of the problem and I'm afraid that's what the the alternative in our political uh, sphere in the country right now offers. They offer an unreasonable alternative which is there is no climate crisis, there's nothing to worry about, keep moving on, nothing to see here. They're wrong about that and that's objectively they are so wrong
1: and we yeah. see it every day if our eyes are open. We see what's happening, whether it's the tornadoes, the flooding. Of we could go down the whole list that is happening every day.
0: Well, you How live can in Miami? they say nothing?
1: Yeah, and every go ahead, sir. So.
0: When the tide comes in, downtown Miami floods. That's not because uh, somebody's making up some sort of story that makes the downtown part of Miami flood every day when the tide comes in. It's because the water level's higher, because the climate's changed, and the ocean levels are higher. And so... You know, Senator Rubio down there once said you can't make laws that will change the weather. That's about the most ignorant thing anyone in an elected office could possibly have said with reference mm-hmm. to this problem, because that's not what people are trying to do. They're probably they're trying instead to limit the damage that some of the some of the stuff we've already wrought has brought to places like Miami, like many of the small islands in the South Pacific, et cetera.
1: So this is my final question for you, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah. Um, I want to know if if the United States, if every person in the United States got on board with what you've been saying tonight, would it be enough? I don't believe it would be enough. I think we need the whole world to pers- participate in this healing And I think it ought to be mandatory. Of course, many would laugh at me about that, but that's what I want. Do you believe that could ever be possible?
0: Yeah, I'll say I have two responses to that. It's a very good question and a good point. I think there's almost no denying that the United States is and can be a leader in just about every global initiative, whether it be peace initiatives, whether it be economic initiatives, whether it be democratic initiatives, and in this case, environmental initiatives. The United States can't be the only player, but the United States has the ability to rally other smaller players and sometimes other bigger players. If we can isolate China, for instance, and make them the only giant industrialized economy that's not paying attention to these issues and get everybody else to be in alliance with us, that puts undue pressure on China and probably extraordinary economic pressure on them. They're going to have to make a concession. And if we don't get our act together and start solving the problem of what will be the energy of the future. I would much prefer that the United States and its laboratories and its engineers come up with those answers than, that, than those answers be discovered in China or in India, where people, uh, that would make us a vassal state for the next hundred or so years. And we don't want that. And so uh, people, you can't be simultaneously of the belief that America is the greatest country on Earth and then say, but it can't rise to this challenge. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I do believe America is the greatest country on earth, and I do believe that it can rise to this challenge. And that's what I would say to fill you with hope. Try not to be pessimistic. We can do it. We've done big things before. We've done big things nobody else could do. We can do this.
1: I know we can do it. What's painful is that others may not do it in front of us. They will do something completely wrong, and you can't stop and just, Yeah. oh, I wish we had more time, sir. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and giving me some clarity. I really needed it, so thank you, sir.
0: Yes, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. That was Dr. Jonathan E. Martin, Professor of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Madison.